If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to join me in the book of Acts and the third chapter. Acts chapter 3. It's good to see you this morning. It, it seems like months ago, but it was only last Sunday we had the great ice storm, right? That uh, uh, interesting days. It always reminds me when we have ice or, and, and those sorts of things of a saying of the Puritans. They said, the same sun that melts the snow hardens the clay. And they made that statement in reference to the Scripture, so, me, meaning that you can, uh, one person can open up the Bible and it'll be life to them. And another person can open up the Bible and say, oh, I don't get much out of that. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's profitable. Now, that's what the Bible says of itself. You know, there's not too many things that you can do or too many ways that you can spend your time that you know if you'll do that, it'll be profitable, right? But study of the Scripture is always profitable if we'll have the hearts that aren't hardened to it. So let's pray to that end, and then we'll pick up here in Acts chapter 3 this morning. Father, I thank you for that the Scripture is profitable, that the Scripture is sufficient. And I pray for Calvary Baptist Church this morning, that as we open up the Bible, that you would speak truth to us. Correct anything that we need to have corrected in the way that we think or in the way that we behave. And Father, I do pray that here at the front end of the study of your word, that we're eager. We, we, we want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Our Savior said that's the way to be satisfied. So Father, I pray that we have appetites for holy things in the holy word of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in Acts chapter 3, what we'll see, and this is Luke's sort of pattern of writing, whether it's the Gospel of Luke or here in Acts, as he's the author of both, is that he'll give detail, 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 and then sort of a summary statement. Last Sunday, we had a summarizing passage. That was Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And, and now in Acts chapter 3, we'll get a lot of details in what I'll call a day in the life of spirit-filled people. So let's read how this day goes for these two men, Peter and John, who have been filled with the Holy Spirit after the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father. Let's read here in verse 1. We'll read the whole chapter together. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But he didn't expect this, right? But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's, astounded. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this and why do you stare at us 
as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again. I think some of us need to hear this this morning. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets of the, and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be my, what does he say? Witnesses in, where? Jerusalem. And here it is, just as Jesus said. Holy Spirit's come. Now Peter, you remember old Peter, right? Not too long ago, 50 days or so, he stood near Jerusalem and said, I don't even know who Jesus is. I'm not one of his followers. I'm not one of his disciples. And now here he is saying, you must repent, therefore. What's happened to him? He's been transformed by the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus and by the coming of the Holy Spirit. So let's, uh, let's walk through together for a few moments this morning what we'll call an afternoon in the life of spirit-filled people. If you've got an outline, I just want to highlight maybe four characteristics that I see in the life of Peter and John that I think are indicative of anybody who'd live a spirit-filled life. And the very first thing that I want to note here comes from the very first phrase from Acts chapter 3, verse 1. And that is, Spirit-filled people pursue godly friendships. Spirit-filled people pursue godly friendships. It was about six, nine months ago or so that, uh, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but a passage of Scripture kind of came my way and just kind of lodged in my mind. And the passage of Scripture is a proverb. It's chapter 18. In verse 1, I want you to hear it. Proverbs 18, 1. Whoever isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all sound judgment. Did you hear that? Whoever isolates himself. What does that mean? Whoever sort of disconnects him or herself from other relationships, seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. We see here in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, now Peter and John were going up. Now remember, remember, this is spirit-filled people 
And one of the things we'll note is that spirit-filled people, they walk together. Uh, a, a spirit-filled person never goes at life by themselves. I'll give you a few other supporting scriptures to this principle. Proverbs thirteen twenty: Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. What's that proverb saying? You're going to become like the people you spend time with, right? I mean, this is simple. This is just true to life. Everybody understands this principle, right? If you walk with wise people, you're going to become wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. I mean, you want to, uh, as it's been said, you want to see a person's uh, ultimate destiny, just see who they spend the majority of their time with. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. This is all through the scripture, right? Moses has Aaron. Moses also has Joshua. David has Jonathan. How about the boys from Babylon? Paul will we'll, uh, exemplify this as we continue to study through Acts. Paul has Barnabas, and Paul has Silas, and Paul has Timothy. I ask you just a real simple question. Are you isolated in your life right now? Are you isolated? Who is it that you know that you can call on to pray with, to have, uh, to, to, to have someone pray for you? The, the irony of our days is that we have more technological gadgets to supposedly connect, but I don't know if, if people have ever been more isolated and lonely than they are right now. The Lord loves his people to love one another. In fact, isn't that what he says his disciples will be known for, right? Our love for each other. Now, if I can put it this way, it's, it's not enough that you have friends that are Christians. You have to have Christian friendships. Does that make sense? It's not enough that you just have friends and, oh, they happen to be Christians. But, but, but your friendship itself is what we would define as Christian. Peter and John, as they go together, what is their relationship made up of? First of all, what are they doing? Their purpose to go, and we're going to go pray together. We're going to go worship together. And then you see them proclaiming the gospel together, right? And this goes, it's got its roots all the way back when Jesus sent them out. How did he send them out? One at a time? How does he send them out? Sends them out two by two. Why does the Lord... Get, let's just put these thoughts together. He knows all things. He knows what's best. And he says, I'll send you out two by two. Why? It's real simple. We need each other, don't we? We need each other. It's in isolation that some of the great men and women of the Bible made their worst decisions, didn't they? In the springtime of the year when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. What did you just hear? David sent his partner, sent his right-hand man. And it happened one late, after, late one afternoon, David, who's isolated, rose from his couch, saw Bathsheba, she was bathing, and she was very beautiful. David makes the worst decision of his life. When? When he's got nobody who will give him counsel, when he's got nobody who will look at him eye to eye and say, David, you're headed in the wrong direction, right? Abraham makes the worst decisions when he's isolated. Moses makes the worst decision when he's isolated. Peter and John we're going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. I'll say parenthetically there, by the way, it doesn't say Peter and Jane. It says Peter and John. You need a, someone of the same gender who's your partner in gospel ministry. Peter and John, they prayed together. They helped others together. They proclaimed the gospel 
together. This is, goes back to the metaphor we used last week about a charcoal fire, right? You got all the pieces of charcoal in the fire and they're burning. And what happens if you take one piece of charcoal and remove from the fire? Does it keep burning? No, it's only a matter of time. It cools off and it's not glowing anymore and it is dark and uh, cold, right? That's what happens to a believer who's disconnected from the church, I believe the local church in general, and then particularly from these, lo- from, from these deep Christian friendships. You might ask the question, well, how do you find somebody like that? How do you find a friend? And one way I'd answer that is, as you run after Jesus, just look around, right? Just look around and say, who else is running after Jesus? And then you kind of link arms with them, right? And we pray together. Most of us, most of us go back to this statement. Uh, It's not enough to have friends who are Christians. We want to have Christian friendships. Most of us could probably start there if we are isolated. If we don't have somebody that we can talk to beyond a superficial level, and here's some things going on in my life, or here we're going to go out and we're going to proclaim the gospel together, right? Is, is begin with maybe somebody who is a Christian, who is your friend, but your friendship hasn't been defined as Christian. Does that make sense? Somebody, can, can we just take this a little bit deeper? Can we begin to meet and pray together? Can you begin to pray for some people that, that I want to share the gospel with? Can you begin to pray with me over some struggles that I might have with that old sin nature? So, so what, what we'll see throughout the majority of the book of Acts is we'll never find a man or a woman who's serving Jesus who's not got somebody that they're partners with, that they're, that they're aligned with. So, so one, spirit-filled people pursue godly friendships. Second thing that we'll note also from verse 1 is that spirit-filled people intentionally pray. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. The ninth hour, uh, and that terminology is three o'clock, means nine hours after the sun's come up, so it's about three o'clock in the afternoon, sort of a midday check-in, right? You've been up for six hours, you're probably going to be up for another six hours, so let's do a midday sort of, sort of, sort of check-in. But let's talk about this for, for a moment. When do, you, when do you plan to pray tomorrow? When do you plan to pray tomorrow? And most likely, most likely, if you don't have an answer for that question today, you know what's going to happen tomorrow? Most likely, you're not going to pray. Now, can I say, just please don't hear some sort of legalistic demand hitting your ears, right? By, By the way, can you turn with me to Luke chapter 23? So I think there's something going on on this ninth hour to pray. It was the custom for the Jewish people to go to the temple and pray. But I think Luke records something that happens at the ninth hour that made this a meaningful time for Peter and John to pray. Luke chapter 23, verse 44. It was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. What hour are we at? We're at the ninth hour, aren't we? Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. The ninth hour. Peter and John are going to the temple at about the ninth hour. I think the ninth hour meant something 
to them. I think it was a holy hour to them. I think it was a precious hour to them. And, and, and even though it had been a Jewish custom to pray, Jesus prays in the ninth hour, doesn't he? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And, and, I, and, I, and I think as Peter and John go to the temple regularly to, to, to pray, and we understand New Testament, gospel, <laughs> teaching, uh, they, they don't need to go to the temple to make sacrifice anymore. Jesus had been the ultimate sacrifice. But I think they went to the temple to pray and remember what Jesus had done for them. And I'm not in any way, shape, or form saying, hey, when we roll around to 3 o'clock tomorrow, you need to drop everything and pray. That's not what what I'm saying. But I would like to encourage you that I do think that spirit-filled people intend to pray, set aside time to pray, are are purposeful about praying. That they don't say, well, we'll fit uh, prayer into our schedule. They say, our schedule will fit into my prayer life right? My encouragement to you is to be intentional about praying. Now, here's a few things that I've found helpful, is to build prayer into your existing schedule. Just a few examples. Anybody got some commute time in the morning, right? You got to drive to work. You could either listen, I don't know, some things in my life, turn on the radio, listen to the news, or listen to sports talk, or so on and so forth. Maybe, maybe, just begin to build your prayer time into that commute time or you're getting ready in the morning time. Or maybe anybody got to take children to school in the morning? Maybe you just identify a road. Says, so if we drive down this road, I'm going to begin, my children are going to hear me pray for them. What I've found, <clears throat> this is something I've adopted, is, is, is I try to make prayer times into the frustrating moments of my day. Can I give you one? Bedtime at our house. I, th- I think I read it in a book somewhere that I wish I could quote chapter and verse, but it made this suggestion. Most of us have moments in our day that are frustrating. I, I-, I inherited something from my dad, and that is a natural inclination to get frustrated over traffic. It, that sounds like an excuse. I'm making excuses now. It's not my dad's fault, it's mine. The, um, so there are a few, there's a few, and actually these these places are increasing around Rocky Mount. <clears throat> Let's move on to, 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 to a traffic light or where you used to be able to turn left and you can't do that anymore. Those days are gone. You come to these places. I, I, I've given you this one before. Um, uh, over here at the CVS, the stoplight. For much of my life, I found myself so frustrated. It began a goal in my life. Can I ever get that light just to be green and I get to go right through it, Right? And, uh, and I, I can remember, now this isn't meant to be mystical or strange, but I remember sitting there and just kind of frustrated, oh, why does this light, and just sort of, a, sort of an idea, why don't you turn this stoplight? Instead of being the place you always come and get frustrated, why don't you begin to come here and just pray? And, and then when, as I was sitting there, I thought of a man in this church who demonstrates great patience. And, I, and, I, and those thoughts kind of came to my mind simultaneously, and I began to use that time. Every time I came to that stoplight, I pray for that man. In some ways, I said, but Lord, help me to be more like that person who demonstrates great, great patience. I jotted a few things down just by way of idea to be intentional in our praying. I mentioned as you perhaps take your children to school, you you make that a prayer time. At bedtime, gather everybody in the family. It doesn't have to be 45 minutes of praying. You just gather your whole family together before everybody heads to bed and, and you pray together. How about this one? Husbands. You take your wife in your arms in the morning and, and you pray together. 
Again, it doesn't have to be 30 minutes. There's probably not a wife in the congregation that says, oh, that's a terrible idea. She probably says, oh, man, that would be great. Maybe you'd meet another believer regularly and use your time to pray. Do you you remember the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, I've got a real simple acronym that I was taught that I want to share with you, and many of you already know it. Because we say, now, I know I should pray, I know I should pray, but then I get there, and then, you know, we start praying, and two minutes goes by, and you feel like it's been 10 minutes, and then you feel like it's been 30 minutes. So I was taught as a young man to pray in, in this way. It's an acronym called ACTS, which seems fitting because we're studying through ACTS, right? So A-C-T-S. A stands for adoration. When I begin to pray, when I begin to pray, rather, I spend the first portion of my praying praising God for who he is. His holiness, his righteousness, his faithfulness, his goodness. Do you have anything that you adore about the Lord? How good he is? He's a perfect father. You just begin to praise him for who he is. There's a whole book in the Bible that teaches us to pray. It's called Psalms. And if you read Psalms, it's filled of praising him. The heavens declare your glory, God. The earth is your handiwork. So you begin with A, your adoration. C, in the acronym, stands for confession. We just bumped in. We just bumped up to why a lot of us don't like to pray, didn't we? So, well, there's something in between my fellowship with the Lord. I've got to confess. I've got to confess this for the thousandth time, for the millionth time. Right? Confess my impatience. Oh, Lord, I confess it. I've been urgent about the gospel. It's adoration, confession, tea, thanksgiving. We begin to thank God for the blessings in our life. And then S is kind of a fancy word, but it's supplication. What does that mean? Just our requests. Should we make our requests known to God? Of course. Um, do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God, and the God of peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? A-C-T-S. Where do we get this? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's adoration, isn't it? Is there confession in the Lord's Prayer? Absolutely. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Is there thanksgiving? Of course. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Is there supplication? Yes. Give us this day, what? Our daily bread. We, we all love to speak to and be with the people we love, right? It never makes any sense that you love somebody, but you don't want to be with them. And prayer, not to be too spiritual about it, it's prayer simply, I want to be with the Lord. I want to speak to him. I want to hear from him. Uh, a couple of weeks ago now, we were putting up the Christmas decorations. Isn't that the worst job on earth? I mean, it's kind of exciting. You bring the Christmas presents down and you put them up. And then when it's over, I, for 10 years in a row, my plan has been to put it all up nice and neat so I can get it down. But then at the end, it's just throwing stuff up there. And I don't even know if I want this anymore. And you just get it up in the attic. And I was up in the attic and moving some things around because Julie does want it nice and neat. And, and I just please don't go in the attic is what I told her. No, no. And, and, and I was putting some stuff up and then my foot kind of kicked on this box. And I looked down and uh, it's all this stuff from years ago. In my, I don't even know what when this box got up in my attic. And, and I found something in, my, uh, in that box that I had thought I had lost or I thought had been thrown out. So I was really thrilled to find it. Um, you know, uh, ne- next week's the Super Bowl, right? Super Bowl 50. So 25 years ago, in January 1990, I don't know if anybody remembers this, the 25th anniversary, Hardee's was 
running sort of a promotion, if you will, that if you, we went there and bought breakfast, they would give you a Super Bowl pin. Does anybody remember this? Anybody? I'm the only oh, three people. Okay. Four people. All right. Now, at the time, I was in the sixth grade, and this at Benvenu Middle just took off. I mean, it was like all the boys were thrilled. So every morning, my mom on the way to school, I think we prayed together, but I know we went to Hardee's together. So, he, so we would go, and I'd get my bacon, egg, and cheese, my hash browns, my orange juice. And I was excited about those things, but I was most excited about these Super Bowl pins. And we began to race over which boy in the class would be able to collect them all. Now, it wasn't too long, probably about two weeks into this, that I began to bump into this problem. I began to get, because you would get your meal, and then, and then a pin would come with it. I began to get the same pin over and over again. Like, all right, I get it. Super Bowl nine. The Steelers won. Great. I've got nine Super Bowl nine pins. And I won't ever forget, I came home from school one day, and, and uh, coming in, and oh, I got Super Bowl nine again, or what it, whatever it was. And uh, my, my dad had a uh, little brown bag, maybe it was a hearty bag, I don't know, um, sitting there on the table, and he said, I got something for you. And I, and I went over there and said, what, what, what is it? And I turned the bag over, and out came, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 25 pins, boom. And I turned them over. And I don't know what he did. I don't know how he did it. But he went and got the, and this is what he got. This is what I got. He got all 25 of the Super Bowl pins right there. Isn't that cool? Packers, Packers, Jets, Chiefs, Colts, Cowboys, Dolphins, Dolphins, Steelers. Okay, okay. Not to go through it. <laughs> the reason I know the Super Bowls is because I can remember kind of staring at these pins and for one brief moment being the envy of all the boys at Benvenu Middle. Because one day, I, one day I took all the pins. After that, I didn't take them back because they were going to maybe not be there. Now, now, here's sort of the point of the illustration. My dad died not long after that, maybe five years and, uh, and I think about that a lot, and, and uh, when I see these Super Bowl pins, I like the pins, and those are cool, but what it really is, 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 is it's a blessing because of who gave it to me, do you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't the pins so much as now I look back and I remember, my dad went out of his way, he went to Hardee's, I mean, well, that might have not really been all out of his way, knowing my dad, but while he was there, while he was there... He talked to somebody or a manager or swung. I don't know what he did. But it's just a blessing in my life to remember that he sort of did go out of his way to get something that he knew I wanted. But this speaks more about him than the actual pens. Do you know what I mean? So here's, I tried to write this down to make it clear. Given the choice between having the blessing or being in the presence of the blesser, you realize the greatest blessing is the presence of the blesser, right? And nowhere, nowhere in our lives is that mentality clearer than in our prayer lives. That's what we're trying to get at, right? Do you know why that Peter and John, I think, set aside time to pray? Not because they felt like they had to. It's what they wanted to do. You want to spend time with people that you love. Number three, spirit-filled people focus on people. Spirit-filled people focus on people. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those 
entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And I want you to see what verse 4 says. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Spirit-filled people focus on people. It starts with something really, really simple. Peter looked at the man, right? Spirit-filled people are not passed by on the other side people. Do you remember the Good Samaritan parable? And when a, and when a, and when a priest came, saw him and passed by on the other side. Do you look at people or look away from people? I like what Chuck Swindoll said once in a, one of his sermons. He says that everybody on earth has either a yes face, I'm trying to make my face a yes face, or a no face. Yes face, no face. Do you know who's great at knowing? Children, right? Children don't run up to people with no faces. They do run up to people with yes faces. You know who the Gospels teach that children love to run up to? Jesus, right? So, so, so Jesus is approachable. And Peter and John are on their way to pray. And their mentality is, oh, I, can't, I can't deal with you right now. It's the hour of prayer. Did you not see? It's 3 o'clock. Be super spiritual about it. I mean, this is the holy hour. Now, I don't know. There's no videotape evidence, obviously. But my guess is there hadn't been a lot of people that day who had really looked at that man. They're just used to him being there. Maybe drop a few alms on my way to what? To pray. On my way to worship. Now, they don't. They didn't, rather, pass him by. But I, I have to venture a guess. If Peter and John had happened to pass him by and got in there and got praying, I think one of the first things the Holy Spirit would have said was, hey, did you see the guy that you just passed? Let's go back there, right? Spirit-filled people focus on people. Blood-bought believers ought to have yes faces. I read a story about a 16th century pope who was there counting the money that had been collected in the treasury of the church. And one man in the room spoke up and said, we no longer can say I have no silver or gold, can we? And the pope replied, neither can we say rise and walk, right? We offer what we have. To, to be like Jesus is to not pass by, to not pass by the woman with the issue of bleeding, to not pass by the blind beggar, to not pass by Zacchaeus, to not pass by Lazarus, to not pass by all those on the margins. Spirit-filled people focus on people. Is there somebody that you could focus on that you're accustomed to passing by, perhaps? Maybe the server that will serve your lunch today or the workman that comes to your house. Peter did what he could where he was with who he saw. And I want you to see a connection here to number four. Spirit-filled people take every opportunity to speak about Jesus. Let's make a connection. Where did the opportunity to speak about Jesus come from? Answer, from helping somebody, right? So here's a connection. Either one of these would be insufficient to help somebody and then not speak about Jesus, to use the opportunity, right? And then the other thing that we could, might do wrong, potentially do wrong, is to wait for an opportunity to speak about Jesus, and yet we're not helping anybody. Does that make sense? So these things go to, together. Uh, man comes, and then while he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon, astounded. And Peter takes the opportunity right then to speak about Jesus. 
He doesn't tell them to come back later. He doesn't tell them that, uh, uh, can, can you come meet us over at the church and then we'll talk about it. There's nothing wrong with those sorts of things. But he, Peter's urgent. And look at his message. Verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? Blotted out. Not kind of shaded over. Sins blotted out by the blood of Jesus. Do you believe that your sins have been blotted out? Christian, do you believe your sins are blotted out? Or do you see that they're still lingering out there somewhere? As far as east is from west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And then the times of refreshing. And, and look at where the refreshing comes from. The times of refreshing may come from the blessings of the Lord. No, no, from the presence of the Lord, right? Some of us need time of refreshing. Where is it going to come? From his presence. He ends it here by saying to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Now, the strange and interesting fact is today... We live in a culture that believes their blessing is their wickedness. Peter says, God will bless you by turning every one of you away from your wickedness. Do, do you, wanna, you want maybe an illustration of what your life, we're going to conclude with this, what, what your life would be like without repentance? Good news, good news. I got a great illustration what your life would be like without repentance. Apart from repentance and apart from believing in Jesus, apart from having your sins blotted out, apart from having continual refreshment from the presence of the Lord, and apart from having the great hope that Jesus, who saved you, is coming back for you, you'd be like a lame beggar just trying to get through today. And your highest expectation would be that maybe somebody will come along and give you just enough to get through just today with the full expectations we're going to have to do all this again tomorrow. You might even be in close proximity to the things of God. You might even be right there at the gate. And your hope is someone might give you just enough to get through the day because you cannot possibly imagine one who has the power to make you rise and walk. Did you know that you've been invited to the truly beautiful gate? That is the death, burial, and resurrection. And that through it you can enter the true temple into the presence of the Lord. Remember what happened at the ninth hour? A big old temple curtain torn from top to bottom as Jesus hung on the cross paying the penalty for my sin. What it would require is a couple of spirit-filled people likely devoted to godly friendships with one another intentional about prayer, they come along and they decide, well, we're not going to just pass by today. We're going to share about Christ. So if you've got an outline, I've got four real simple, but hopefully clear, we'll call application questions rooted from Acts chapter three. So here we go. We'll do them pretty quick. Number one, number one, do I have a godly friendship I can more deeply cultivate? Right? This goes back to the first one. Peter and John. If you're out there isolated, saying, I'm trying to live for Christ, but I'm disconnected. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. You need somebody. You need one, two people in your life that you have a deep friendship with. 
If you're a man, you have other men that you pray with. If you're a lady, other ladies that I meet with and pray for, and we love each other because we believe that godly friendships are essential to a healthy spiritual life. And maybe just as we're on this question, somebody just pops into your mind. Somebody pops into your mind. Now, what do I do? It's real simple. You just go to them and say, you know what? And maybe they're in the room. Can we just cultivate this on a deeper level, right? We're friends. We're both Christians, but let's turn this into a Christian friendship, right? Number two, what time can I set aside for intentional prayer? Again, not a legalistic obligation, not, oh, it's three o'clock, I better get to pray. But my encouragement to you is, if you don't set aside intentional time to pray, just the pace of the world and the schedule is going to crowd it out pretty quickly. So, first thing in the morning, or you say, well, morning that's not going to work for me. But just be sensitive. Um, maybe you would think the morning wouldn't work for you, but maybe that's when it needs to be. That we would desire prayer even more than we desire sleep. What time can I intentionally set aside for prayer? And then maybe you just take that axe, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, and just say, oh, well, we'll, we'll, we'll go with this, and we'll set aside time to intentionally pray. Number three, in response to these points that we made, number three, is there a specific person that I can help? And um, with, without trying to stretch this chapter too, um, too much, is a good place to start is going to likely be who, who are people in my life, kind of where, where, I, where I am, that very regularly are just passed by, just forgotten, just overlooked kind of blending in with the background. Is there, is there somebody on your street, somebody at your work, somebody in your family, a specific person I can help? And then the last question goes off to the last point. Do I have an opportunity to speak about Jesus? And that question, in your intentional prayer time, I'm encouraging you to ask Jesus, right? So as you pray, you just ask the Lord, Father, is there a specific person, an opportunity that I have to speak about Jesus? Now, if you'll do all these things, is your life just going to be wonderful and smooth and easy and it's always going to be 70 degrees and sunny and everybody will applaud you everywhere you go? Well, let's read Acts chapter 4. Just the first few verses and we'll close. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Can you do one more verse? But many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to 5,000. Here's what we'll learn in Acts. Is yes, the gospel often goes forward as you help people. But also the gospel often goes forward as people 
hurt you. Interesting, isn't it? Persecution begins to spread the gospel. Um, told you last week that we were together. God's doing an amazing work. Spirit-filled people, the gospel's going forth. But now the enemy, the enemy is going to have some counterattacks. There'll be false teaching, there'll be persecution, so on and, and so forth. But we'll, we'll stop here for today. These application questions I want us to bring into the invitation. And my, encur- my, cl- my last exhortation encouragement to you is um, to really act on some of these things, right? God often does his deepest work in the result of a simple, simple step of obedience. That's back to last week. When did all come upon all the people? When they were devoted to the essentials. So just a caution. Don't wait for the all to bring you to the essentials, right? Let the essentials lead to the all. Well, let's stand together. We'll pray together. Bow your heads with me. We'll enter what we call an invitation. And the invitation is simply the opportunity that we have to respond to the word of God as it's been presented. So maybe during this invitation, you want to resolve in your heart, you know what, I am going to more deeply cultivate a a, a godly friendship. Maybe you've already got somebody in your heart, already on your mind. You say, I'm I'm just going to take the initiative. And we won't go the next 10 years just sort of a surface friendship. I I think God's put one another in each other's paths for a Christian friendship that we'll pray together. We'll serve together. We'll love people together. Because we need each other. Might also be true that you just ask God and during that invitation that He put somebody in your mind that you maybe pass by. Or that it just generally speaking, God would give you grace to, to focus more on people than on what I've got to do or my to do list or tasks and so on and so forth. Spirit filled people focus on people. Jesus, on the ninth hour, on the cross, I can assure you, he was focused on people, saving people, loving people, atoning for people's sins. Maybe one of these other areas that we've mentioned. Or maybe this morning, you've never repented, and you've never had your sins blotted out. Got good news. And I proclaim the same message Peter did. This Lord Jesus Christ has come for you. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that your sins might be blotted out. Father, I pray that you would be glorified, that we would be spirit-filled people, and that if if someone were to take a, a glimpse into one of our afternoons, just follow us through an afternoon and follow us through a day, that these marks of spirit-filled people would be evident because we're spirit-filled people. We love the Lord Jesus, and we're urgent about taking hold of every opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Lead our invitation time, we pray. Help us to be people who resolve, who decide things, not just hear things and say, well, maybe that's a good idea, but we don't follow up with actions. I pray that godly friendships will be cultivated at 
Calvary Baptist Church. I pray we will be people who don't pass by. We focus on people. I pray we are intentional about praying. And I pray we are those who recognize and are bold in the opportunities we have to speak about Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.